And a very warm welcome back. It is Catholic View coming to you on Radio Veritas this Wednesday within the octave of Easter. Happy Easter to you. It's great to be back. And of course, Catholic View comes to you every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday at 6.30 with a repeat broadcast at 8.30. And I'm Shayla Pirsch. In this edition of Catholic View, we take a look at Divine Mercy Sunday, which is coming up this coming Sunday on the second Sunday of Easter. But before that, I bring you a quick roundup at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope Francis explains the meaning of a resurrection at general audience. Disease, hunger, forcing families to flee drought in Somalia. And annual International University Congress for Holy Week in Rome. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. At today's general audience, Pope Francis continued his weekly catechesis on hope, looking now to the risen Jesus as a symbol of Christianity. Pope Francis explained that Jesus' resurrection is the event that grounds our faith, proving that Christ himself is not simply another great religious figure. Rather, it is he who dwells in our midst and is the reason for our Easter joy. The Holy Father also said that encountering Christ is always a surprise. It's a grace given to those whose hearts are open, which opens one to a future of light instead of darkness. Dear brothers and sisters, in these joyful days of Easter, our continuing catechesis on Christian hope looks to the risen Jesus. St. Paul tells the Corinthians that Jesus himself is our hope. His resurrection is the event that grounds our faith. Without our confident belief in its historical reality, the Christian faith would be a mere human philosophy, and Jesus himself simply another great religious figure. Our belief is based on the testimony of those who encountered the risen Christ, from St. Peter and the group of the Twelve, to St. Paul, who was converted by his dramatic meeting with the Lord on the road to Damascus. Encountering Christ in faith is always a surprise. It is a grace given to those whose hearts are open. It overturns our comfortable existence and opens us to an unexpected future, sowing life and light in place of death and sorrow. This is the reason for our Easter joy. In the risen Jesus who dwells in our midst, we encounter the power of God's love, which triumphs over death and brings ever new life and undying hope. And now a quick look at Pope Francis' schedule for the rest of the week. After presiding over all the events during Holy Week at the Vatican, Pope Francis will not be taking any time off to relax during Easter week. 
On Thursday morning, Pope Francis has called for a consistory of cardinals to give approval for the cause of canonization for the two shepherds from Fatima, Jacinta and Francisco. This consistory could also review future dates for 30 Brazilian martyrs, a Spanish priest, and an Italian Capuchin priest. At 11:30 a.m. Saturday morning, Pope Francis will meet with Oscar Camps, the founder of Proactiva Open Arms. They are volunteers who are working to rescue refugees who are fleeing from the coast of Lesbos in the Mediterranean. It will not be the first time the Pope will meet with him. In May 2016, Camps brought the Holy Father a life jacket of a girl they were unable to rescue. That evening at 5 p.m., he will preside at the Liturgy of the Word with the community of Sant'Egidio at the Basilica of Saint Bartholomew on Tiber Island in Rome. It will be in memory of the new martyrs from the 20th and 21st centuries. He will close his week by praying the Regina Chaley Prayer in Saint Peter's Square in the same way as he started the week on Monday. Looking at some African news, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights has expressed deep alarm at a widespread pattern of rallies in Burundi, where members of the ruling party's youth wing chant about impregnating and killing their opponents. Peter Kenny reports from Geneva. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Zaid Rahad Al Hussein, has expressed deep alarm at apparently widespread rallies in several provinces across Burundi, where young men from the Imbonerakure militia repeatedly chant a call to impregnate or kill opponents. Zaid said the organized nature of the marches, coupled with reports of ongoing serious rights violations, lay bare a campaign of terror waged in Burundi, amounting to brazen hate speech. According to UNHCHR spokesman Rupert Colville, about a week ago, ten days ago, there was a chilling video which began circulating on social media, showing more than a hundred members of the Imbonerakure, which is the youth wing of the ruling CNDD-FDD party, repeating dozens of times their call, and I quote, "Make opponents pregnant so that they can give birth to Imbonerakure." Another group then repeats a chant in which the phrases. He or she should die is audible around 19 times. Colville described the calls as grotesque by the group, which the government has failed to rein in. Following the release of the video, the ruling party issued a statement condemning the chanting, stating that a preliminary inquiry has found that there were influences outside the party. Concerning the UN Rights Office, however, said Colville. Our reports indicating that similar, larger rallies have been organized across Burundi by officials from the government and the president's party, creating deep fears of what might follow. The United Nations and its international partners have commended several Somali government reforms, including the agreement to form a national security council. This follows two days of consultations this week between the Somali federal government and the federal member states in the capital Mogadishu. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujarik has more. The Secretary General's special representative for Somalia, Michael Keating, welcomed in particular the agreement reached on key points of Somali national security architecture, and added that this agreement marks a major milestone for Somalia and is a cornerstone for the federal state-building process. 
Meanwhile, disease, hunger and drought are forcing families in southern Somalia's Bay region to leave their homes in search of help. Some 6.2 million people, half of the country's population, need humanitarian aid to survive. Here is UN News' Jocelyn Sambira. The Liban settlement is one of the many that have appeared in Baidoa town in southern Somalia. Established in mid-January, it has seen a rapid increase in new arrivals, especially women, children and the elderly. There's also been an increase in the number of acute watery diarrhea and cholera cases, especially among the newcomers. Habiba Ahmed is with her mother at the Baidoa Regional Hospital's Cholera Treatment Center. My mother is suffering from diarrhea and vomiting, but she's much better now. She has good doctors, good medical care, and she's being treated with chlorine and oral rehydration salts. John Ging, the director of operations for UN Ocha, was a member of a delegation visiting the hospital. There are now uh, over 150,000 people that have been newly displaced in Baidoa because of the drought. So we have come from the headquarters of the United Nations and international NGOs to see the situation and then to rapidly support the response. Baidoa Town was the delegation's first leg of a tour that also took them to the port of Kismayo in Jubaland State on Somalia's southern frontier to assess the drought's impact on people. At Kismayo General Hospital, UN officials met with a recovering patient named Barwako Mohammed. I got sick with diarrhea while looking after a sick child in the hospital. I was admitted in this ward. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing much better. I was admitted suffering from diarrhea and vomiting, but now I'm recovering. The delegation also held discussions with authorities in the southwestern Jubaland states and agreed to speed up the response to the drought. Here's the UN Humanitarian Coordinator for Somalia, Peter de Klerk. talked about how we can work together towards fighting the drought and to uh, prevent a famine from happening, so to make sure that people get the type of assistance that they deserve. And we need the cooperation of the Southwest authorities very much in terms of making sure that this camp is safe, that we can build toilets and latrines here in this camp. So we need that cooperation to work together towards fighting the drought and the famine uh, and the uh, acute water diarrhea and cholera situation. The UN is asking for $825 million in aid for the first half of 2017 to avert a famine in Somalia. In 2011, a quarter of a million people died from a famine there, partly because the international community was too slow to respond. The UN humanitarian agency, Ocha, warns. In other Catholic news, the 50th Annual International University Congress, otherwise known as UNIV, brings together thousands of students from around the world for Holy Week in Rome. UNIV offers participants a variety of academic, cultural, as well as spiritual activities and not forgetting the chance to see the sights in Rome. Students from over 40 countries gather to discuss fundamental issues facing humanity today. The Congress offers a unique academic and cultural experience for those who wish to reflect on significant world issues in an international setting. Amongst the participants were students from Guatemala. This really spoke about how do they, how do they come, uh, why, why do they come into Europe and 
and why why do we as Christians have to accept them and and live with them? And now I I understand better that they don't have a place to live in in their country. These young men presented their work in Guatemala to the conference's participants. It's a project uh, of solidarity in Guatemala that consists in classes, uh, tutories with young people, with uh, people with well scarce resources. So. It's really, it's really nice. It's been three years of it, and we could present it very well. These young men from Guatemala are in Rome to participate in UNIF, an international congress of students to discuss the most important topics affecting the world today. UNIF is an annual congress that meets in the Eternal City every year during Holy Week. This year's theme was A World in Motion, where they talk specifically about immigrants and the refugee crisis. By sharing ideas and reflections through dialogue, the program serves as a way for the youth to encounter each other. Since the beginning of his pontificate, Pope Francis has encouraged the youth to be protagonists of change. These men are certainly accepting the task that the Holy Father has entrusted to the next generation. And finally, members of St. Peter's Cricket Club are in Fatima, Portugal for an interfaith tournament, as well as a visit to the world-famous Marian Shrine. The four-day Light of Faith tour takes place just ahead of Pope Francis' visit to Fatima on May 12th and 13th. Established in 2013 under the auspices of the Pontifical Council for Culture, one of the goals of the Vatican Cricket Club is to build bridges with people of other Christian churches and other faith communities. Seminarian Jose Matthew from India is one of the team's top bowlers. He talked to Philippa Hitchin about preparations and expectations for this Portuguese pilgrimage. We have been preparing well for the tournament ahead. We have been going through physical exercises, practice matches. We have played against some colleges here in Rome. We have gone to Capanella Cricket Ground for a couple of matches and we will have a, another practice session before we leave so that would make us well prepared for the matches. Have you been to Portugal or Fatima before? No. Portuguese have come to my home and India. Some teachers have told me that in my mother tongue there are Portuguese words used and I have seen Portugal playing football in television. I never have dreamt of going to Portugal in my life. I never knew that there would be people playing cricket there in Portugal. How would you describe the abilities of the St. Peter's cricket team at the moment? Do you feel that you're ready for this upcoming tour? Yeah, in my opinion I think we are a good bowling side. Uh, we have majority of our players capable of bowling two or three overs and we are a good fielding seed considering that most of the players here are young, about the age of 25 to 28, so they are very athletic, they are physically well-built, they are fast in the outfield. We have some technical problems with regard to batting, and we are trying to clarify and ratify those arrays. So you're looking forward to these matches, but you're also going to Fatima to pray, aren't you? It's also, in some sense, a spiritual pilgrimage as well as a sporting one. Yeah. Our manager, Father Eamon O'Higgins, always tells us that we are not cricketers who happen to be seminarians, but we are seminarians who happen to be cricketers. So prayer and spiritual exercises come before cricket for us. So I personally think of this too as an opportunity to go down to Fatima. I have read about Fatima, Jacinda and Francis. I never hoped of going down to Fatima and visiting Our Lady. 
face to face. And that was a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines today in the Catholic Church and in Africa. Well, thank you once again for being here with me. It is Catholic View coming to you on Radio Veritas 576 AM, otherwise on 870-DSTV-Audio You can also listen to us online. Simply log on to our website, radioveritas.co.za. Remember that these programs are also available on podcasts. Well, coming up next, we're taking a look at the Feast of Divine Mercy. Seeing that we are within the Easter octave, I thought it would be looked to stick to religious topics this week. Divine Mercy Sunday, also known as the Feast of the Divine Mercy, is celebrated on the Sunday after Easter, the octave of Easter. It is originally based on the Catholic devotion to the Divine Mercy that St. Faustina Koalaska reported as part of her encounter with Jesus and is associated with special promises from Jesus and indulgences issued by the Church. The Feast of Divine Mercy, as recorded in the diary of St. Faustina, receives from Jesus himself the biggest promise of grace related to the devotion of Divine Mercy. Three years ago, on the Feast of Divine Mercy, Pope Francis canonized John Paul II together with John XXIII. The choice of this date related in a special way to the new Polish saint who had a personal devotion to Divine Mercy. To mark the day the Church celebrates the Feast of Divine Mercy, Veronica Skarsbrick tells the story linked to this devotion. John Paul II said, I'd like to repeat the simple words of Sister Faustina. In order to join her and all of you in adoring the inconceivable and unfathomable mystery of God's mercy. But let's listen to the words in Polish of the Pope himself, as well as to a translation in English read for us by Sean Patrick Lovett. Wywrażnią i z wami wszystkimi uwielbić niepojętą i niezgłębioną Like Saint Faustina, we wish to proclaim that, apart from the mercy of God, there is no other source of hope for mankind. We desire to repeat with faith, Jesus, I trust in you. Jezu, ucham Tobie. This proclamation, this confession of trust in the all-powerful love of God, is especially needed in our own time, when mankind is experiencing bewilderment in the face of many manifestations of evil. The invocation of God's mercy needs to rise up from the depth of hearts filled with suffering, apprehension and uncertainty, and at the same time yearning for an infallible source of hope.
On a more intimate note on this occasion, St. John Paul II shared some thoughts relating to his ties with this place so dear to him. Many of my personal memories are tied to this place. During the Nazi occupation, when I was working in the Solvay factory near here, I used to come here. Even now I recall the street that goes from Borek Valeki to Dibniki that I took every day going to work on the different turns with the wooden clogs on my feet. They're the shoes that we used to wear then. How is it possible to imagine that one day the man with the wooden clogs would consecrate the Basilica of the Divine Mercy at Lagrievniki of Krakow? This year marks 12 years since the death of John Paul II on the 2nd of April 2005, who, as we know, had a special devotion to the Divine Mercy. Veronica Skarsbrick looks at Faustina Kowalska, who lived and prayed in a leafy Krakow suburb by the name of Kagienik in the first half of the 20th century. Faustina Kowalska was canonized by John Paul II during the Jubilee year 2000. But let's glance at how this devotion came about, and at its message. The date was the 22nd of February 1931, with the first of a series of apparitions, which Sister Faustina describes in a diary of some 600 pages, a personal witness of divine revelations and mystical experiences. This diary is written in a spidery calligraphy, and not only unveils a powerful message of hope in a world in the shadow of the fearful humanity of the time, but also reveals an image of that apparition of the Lord Jesus, who appeared to her clothed in a white garment, with two rays of light emanating from his breast, one red and one white. The red, she writes, symbolic of blood, representing the life of souls, and the other white, symbolizing water, which makes souls righteous. These are her exact words. In the evening when I was in my cell, I saw the Lord Jesus clothed in a white garment. One hand was raised in a gesture of blessing. The other was touching the garment at the breast. From beneath the garment, slightly drawn aside at the breast, they were emanating two large rays, one red, the other pale. In silence, I kept my gaze fixed on the Lord. My soul was filled with awe, but also with great joy. After a while, Jesus said to me, Paint an image according to the pattern you see, with the signature, Jesus, I trust in you. I desire that this image... Be venerated, first in your chapel, and then throughout the world. And at the Shrine of Divine Mercy at Waganiki, a copy of this painting of the merciful Jesus stands above the main altar. The original is to be found only yards away, in the chapel where Sister Faustina once prayed her chaplet, following her first vision. 
At the dedication mass of the large new basilica on 7th of August 2002, John Paul II mentioned in a moment of nostalgia how he used to come to the little chapel to pray as a young man when he went by on his way to the Salve chemical plant where he once worked. And rather famously he remarked on that occasion, who would ever have imagined that the young man in his wooden clogs would one day be back here in his capacity as Roman pontiff to dedicate a new basilica to divine mercy. Earlier still, during that homily, he had highlighted the spiritual importance of the message of mercy at a time when mankind was experiencing bewilderment in the face of many manifestations of evil. How greatly the world needs God's mercy, he insisted. In every continent, from the depth of human suffering, a cry for mercy seems to rise up. Na wszystkich kontynentach, z głębi ludzkiego cierpienia, zdaje się wznosić wołanie miłosierdzie. Tam, gdzie panuje nienawiść, where hatred and the thirst for revenge dominate, where war brings suffering and death to the innocent. There, the grace of mercy is needed in order to settle human minds and hearts and to bring about peace. Wherever respect for life and human dignity are lacking, there is need of God's merciful love, in whose light we see the inexpressible value of every human being. Mercy is needed in order to ensure that every injustice in the world will come to an end in the splendor of truth. What began as a very Polish devotion has now spread right across the world here at the shrine of Krakow Waganiki, where the legacy of Saint Faustina Kowalska lives on to this day. Jesus, pour out your spirit on me. Jesus,
Well, that brings me up to time. You've been listening to Catholic View, the first edition after our Lenten break. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, a happy Easter to you and your loved ones. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, do enjoy what's left of your evening. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.